Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief here at Modern Retail. And this week, we're joined with Bill Tyne, who heads up all things marketing at King Arthur Flower. And I will admit, I'm I'm starstruck because King Arthur Flower is a uh, a product I use probably at least every week, if not multiple times a week. But hi, Bill. I'm I'm so glad that you're joining us. How are you doing? Good, Kale. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So first, for uh for those, I mean, I think. People have probably seen King Arthur in in the grocery store, at least if they're in the U.S., but want to give just sort of a brief rundown of the, the history of the company, because it's it's not a new company. No, we're actually <laughs> 230 years old. We're one of the <laughs> 10 oldest companies in, in the U.S., and what's amazing is we started as a flower company. So not only are we one of the oldest, but we might be one of the only ones still doing what we started doing, uh, and it really bring that heritage really brings a lot to who we are today, although we're a very different company, obviously, today. Uh, one of the big things about the company is that we're employee-owned. So uh, the employees own 100% of the company, and and that just uh, changes the dynamic and certainly makes for a great culture here. And why don't you give us a little background, uh, your, your background. So how did, you, how did you start out with the company? How long have you been there? What is what is your trajectory at the flower company, Ben? Uh, yeah, I've been here for 11 years, and it, I mean, it couldn't have been the better spot for me to land. Um I've had somewhat of a winding career starting. Actually, I, I worked down in Washington, D.C. as a consultant for NASA and the EPA. So so had this really interesting start in my career, but eventually made my way into uh, food media, uh, enthusiast-type media. And I think that was a really good connection to to eventually ending up at a company like King Arthur because one of the things I think, particularly for CPG companies now, is you really have to understand the consumer. And mm-hmm. media companies have done that really well in the past. And so I really uh, got a great experience uh, working in some of those companies before coming here. I'm going to want to talk to you about your background in uh, in food media specifically this year, because King Arthur's done some really interesting stuff with uh, you know social media and certain influencers. But we'll, we'll get to that later. So I'd love to just hear how you sort of approached marketing for the entire company before the pandemic hit. What, what, what was your overall sense for how how you would sort of get the name out? Was it just sort of being on on the floor and and using that that those kind of stuff? What channels did you use? Just give me the, the overall rundown. Yeah, pre pandemic. We we spent years, probably three, four, five years, developing a really unique way to go to market. Uh, we, I'd say, we have a very complementary approach. Part of it is more traditional, what you'd see, you know, advertising and, and 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 headline messaging. But what we've done uniquely is built out essentially our own, um, you know, to some degree, our own media company. So we put a lot of effort into developing a large audience and a very engaged audience as well as a lot of effort into creating content uh, that starts with baking education and, and inspiration, but to try to engage people in a way much, much broader than, a, than a, a simple headline certainly would. And so because of that, when when COVID hit and people really shifted their media com- consumption, we were a place to turn to uh, because we had a lot of those assets already in place. We had a team internally of bakers that could create it at home with their iPhones. Uh, and and I think having that in-house was something where we were able to really react quickly. Uh, I don't think we changed our strategy at all the last year. We adjusted it, made some tweaks, but it really went, went well with what we've been building over the last few years. And where would you say was the home for that 
community? Was it on the website? Was it that they would go and read your recipes at kingarthur.com? Is it that they would follow you on Instagram? Sort of, how did you try to build out that community in a digital sense? Certainly, the website is probably at the core of it, but a lot of it is wherever the consumer wants to or has engaged with us. They might have ga- engaged with us by coming to one of our physical baking schools. We have two schools, one here in Norwich, Vermont, and the other outside of Seattle. Those closed because we couldn't have people in person. And, and if that was what they were used to, to our, their relationship with us, well, then they could come to a virtual baking class. Uh, but certainly the website, our social media, uh, both of those are, are really large audiences. I think our website had over 60 million unique visitors this year, and our social media tends to be 5 to 30 million uh, each month, you know, at monthly uh, viewers. And so those are, are the largest uh, populations of our consumers. But from there, they can engage with us directly. We have a, a direct-to-consumer business. They can call us. We have a free baker's hotline that seven days a week, if you're, if you're in the middle of baking a loaf of bread and, and it's not rising the way you thought, you could call a professional baker seven days a week. When you began this strategy of, of making it very community-focused, it makes sense because People love baking, and baking's a, a very popular pastime for both professionals and amateurs. But had you seen other CPG companies sort of focus their marketing in that sort of aspect? Is that is that a playbook that you've you've noticed other big companies that are nationally distributed in um, groceries to do, or was this more of a you're trying to do some something a little bit different? Definitely something a little different. Some some companies have done it, or or have done elements of it. Uh, I think it fits really well for a company like ours. Baking is a hobby. It's something that people do. It's, it's, I, I relate it to my experience being an enthusiast media. When people are, are doing something like baking, they need education. They want inspiration because they're getting their hands into it. And it's something that they, they associate with their, with their, who they are, with their personality. And so creating content to fill that need uh, it really fits well with with who we are. Other product companies, they could do elements of it and certainly have, you know, what a lot of people um, consider inbound marketing or content marketing. But I think we do it slightly differently because we're in an enthusiast category and our consumers are hobbyists and and regular. It's a regular activity of theirs. How important, let's say, a few years ago was SEO to this project? Project, because so, I imagine that like what helps grow a community of bakers is to be the second or third or first Google thing for best sourdough recipe or best tortilla recipe. And so, was that sort of in your mind for how, how to sort of begin begin this, or was it simply that people knew King Arthur, they were going to turn to you? SEO is really important, uh, and. We don't chase SEO necessarily, although I think we do all of the 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 tactic all the tactics that you would normally do with SEO. But we start with just being helpful to the baker and creating great content. And what allows that that allows us to not have to chase the algorithm, not have to chase what the technology companies are trying to do. They're trying to make their results more useful to their users. And so if we when we focus on great content, it tends to work its way out. But there's a few kind of getting very tactical. There's a few things that we do in our strategy that really make SEO shine for us. So building an audience is a big deal for us. So if we have a, you know, if we put out something new, a sourdough starter, we can send an email to our followers and get 100,000 people on that page within a couple of days. We can post in our social media and add to that. And so having that immediate impact 
really builds up uh, that long tail future SEO value because immediately we're getting a lot of people to, to view that page. Uh, we also build in, you know, all the other things that you would want links to really, uh, really strong websites, uh, headline text. Um, but I think SEO has really become valuable to us. Sourdough starter, which was a, a hit the last year was came from SEO. I think we had 5 million people come to that website and that's like, that's like intense baking. You're, you're, you're committing yourself to like keeping up a sourdough starter daily, weekly and 5 million people came to that website. And I, and I believe if you search for sourdough starter, we're, we might be one, two and three. I think we have a couple of resources for that. Is sourdough the most popular? Like do you have one or two recipes that are, that are the ones that sort of are your, I guess, linchpins you could say are the ones that people are most likely to, to visit or get the most traffic? Uh, sourdough is one of them, uh, and, and was our number one recipe last year. Uh, before that, we, uh, a che- we had a cheesecake recipe that day in and day out was our number one recipe. Uh, right now we have two recipes that are battling for being number one and they come out of a campaign that we run every year called recipe of the year. Last year it was crispy, cheesy pan pizza. It's this amazing pizza built, uh, baked in a cast iron pan and, that was left the year as the number one recipe. We just announced our new one, uh, which is uh, perfectly pillowy cinnamon rolls. And even as of now, we're at a million page views for that. And so that's becoming our number one, uh, but it's really battling out with the with the pan pizza. <laughs> All right. So uh, you mentioned that strategy-wise, top-level-wise, not much has changed, or not much changed when the pandemic first hit, but sort of the dynamics and the sort of everything below it changed, I guess you could say. And so walk me through how you responded just from a branding standpoint, specifically because A, people were were in, sort of interfacing with your product probably more intimately and differently, but also because there was a shortage for flour. And so I imagine right. that also created a whole new element. So what, what, what was sort of your game plan and what did you observe? Right. Well, despite all the challenges that presented our, us this year, we decided to rebrand the company and change the name of the company. And so this past July, we changed our name from King Arthur Flower to King Arthur Baking Company and rolled out an entirely new brand, including our logo. That was not uh, decided on during the pandemic. We, we, <laughs> we were building up to that for at least 18 months. Uh, what happened, though, is when the pandemic hit, we quickly and probably weekly were having discussions of should we keep moving forward with this project because so many things are going on. We decided to move forward because the whole reason to do it was we were committing to to our consumers that we were going to be a baking company for a long time. We we certainly weren't just a flour company, but we were committing to them that we weren't going to go into other areas. And of all years that it feels like everybody jumped into baking, this could could be the year that that made the most sense. So then we really turned our our efforts to could we pull it off? Uh, you know, making just making a logo change is hard enough from a packaging operation standpoint. And so, what I'm proud of the t- our team for is we actually launched within a week of our original launch date that we had planned before the pandemic. Uh, and our approach was that for the first two to three months, we really wanted to get the consumers aware of the change. And so, our messaging was all about the, the change. You know, here's our old logo. Here's our new logo. This is why we're we're committing to being a baking company. But then as as September rolled around, we moved into what we call a power of baking campaign, which is really just showcasing who we are as a company. So it was less about the change 
and more about just honing in on uh, letting the consumers know who we are. And I think that really helped. I think that really helped drive a holiday season that we've never seen before. And all of these new consumers that have come to baking and particularly come to King Arthur are, are seeing uh, a, a modern company, which is great. One of the things that we had to do is we launched in July. People's media com- consumption was certainly very different uh, from from prior years. And uh, the social media Facebook boycott was happening in July. And mm-hmm. so we did have to change tactically because because we didn't advertise on Facebook for, for the whole month that we launched. <laughs> uh, so we did change tactically, but we didn't change the message. So what did you, w- without Facebook as a, as a channel during a launch, what, what was the plan? What was the overall mix? Well, because we have built up this large audience, we used other channels that, that are our owned channels. So our, our website, our email, our direct-to-consumer business, we use those heavily. We also leaned heavily into our earned media and so worked with uh, influencers as, as well as our PR company to, to get the word out. And that, that was really successful. Um, and then we, we planned more carefully when we were going to be rolling from month to month. And so when August, uh, came about, we shifted our tactics. And then, like I said before, when September came about, we really shifted from that awareness to the, who we are messaging. So what was the channel mix in terms of how people were buying? How did that change? Cause I imagine when people were stuck at home, you probably saw a boost to your DTC, uh, business. Is that correct? And sort of how has that sort of has it leveled out? What are you w- noticing with that? We saw waves with our direct-to-consumer business. So one thing that happened, interestingly enough, was most grocery stores were clear shelves in terms of flour from our, our brand as well as all other brands mm-hmm. in April and May. And we don't normally actually sell a lot of our, you know, our number one product is all-purpose flour. We don't normally sell a lot of that direct-to-consumer. It might be our 50th product because it's available in every grocery store normally. So people can get it fairly easily locally. But when that was all gone, people were shifting simply to buy their core staples. Normally, our consumers come to us for all of the specialty products and all the exciting things. We have about a thousand SKUs on our website. And so we had a wave of people coming to us for core staples. And then what's continued, our business is, is still about double what it, what it was a year ago. Uh, they're coming to us because they've now seen a new resource that they they ne- they didn't know before or they're baking more frequently frequently or differently now they might be baking with their kids more frequently so they want um recipes or tools or ingredients that that they they can use to bake as a family uh and so we're still seeing a very elevated direct to consumer business uh we've also shifted our our supply chain to make sure that uh the retail stores are able to ship uh through their e-commerce channels or or click and collect uh, and then also, as consumers have shifted from different grocery stores to club stores, we've made sure that we were aligning our, our supply chain with, with those shifts as well. So does that mean you're doing drop shipping with grocery stores or sort of how did your, how did your supply chain sh- like shift? Uh, a lot of our, a lot of our uh, shipments are direct to retailers, so full truckloads. Uh, yeah. Some of them go through distributors as well. But we do a lot of shipments uh, direct to the retailers. It's real, just where in the country our product was going, how many warehouses we were managing, uh, because we needed to make sure that the particularly flour was getting from the mill to the retail store as quickly as possible. Uh, for months, we were basically sh- almost shipping directly to shelves because because there was no excess inventory in 
in the warehouses to to boost uh, different parts of the country. So we are shipping directly from mills. We are shipping uh, to different parts of the country at different volumes than we are norm- normally used to. Do you guys on your website have sort of retention features like subscriptions or anything like that? Could I, as a as a sourdough enthusiast, get a two bags of flour sent to me a month or something like that? Or is that not something you do just because you know you? Oh, we don't we don't or... do that yet. We don't do that yet, but certainly something we're thinking about. Uh, it's a great service to to, to customers. Um, we do have all in one kits, and so you can buy a, a recipe bundle that has kind of all the the ingredients. Uh, but not on a su- su- subscription basis. We have a loyalty program, so so from a retention standpoint, um, consumers can can join our loyalty program and get free shipping uh, for the year, uh, as well as some other kind of accumulative benefits. Have you seen a huge uh, increase in interest in that? I, I feel like loyalty programs have become very popular with many retail businesses. Yeah, well, certainly, you know the. Loyalty program has grown even faster than the overall direct to consumer business because I think people are are they're, they're easy, it's easy for them to commit right now to to baking. They might be baking weekly, so so being a part of a loyalty program at a baking company just makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think as we build out that loyalty program, as, as we've seen a lot more opportunity because of the growth of our of, of our business, uh, I think consumers will continue to come to it because I think we'll keep adding more benefits. You mentioned earlier and a few times throughout sort of the alignments you make with uh, with talent and influencers, for example, and how you've built a very sort of media company-esque marketing structure. Can you talk just about how you've approached that? I've seen on my Instagram various people I follow saying, you know, in partnership with King Arthur. And uh, so do you have, is there like a vetting process? How do you think about who you work with and how that fits into the overall structure of how they'll, they will help, they'll, their brand will align with yours? We have a number of different programs that we work with outside contributors on. So I, you know, kind of sharing more details about one of them. Um, we have a blog contributor program. And a lot of what we do with influencers is actually work with them on co-creation of content. Uh, so not just having them, you know, sh- share their love of King Arthur baking, <laughs> but actually working more, more in partnership so that uh, they're creating content that we share and, and hopefully it's a, a mutually beneficial program where because we have such a big audience that we can actually drive uh, followers to them, just like we're hoping that they that they drive their audience to us. And so we have a, a blogger program that probably twice a month we have an outside contributor um, giving us uh, some of their baking stories. And I think that allows us to have much broader appeal. We can call on different skill sets. So uh, if they have, if someone has a culture, cultural or ethnic background that, that, that brings authenticity to what they're creating, uh, that's something that we can expand upon because we, we do have a fairly small team. Um, and we can get different perspectives, you know, regional perspectives or, or, uh, or, um, generational perspectives. And, and, and that allows it just to be more interesting to our, our fans. Are you changing sort of how you approach your influencer program over the next year? Or is it just sort of this, the same sort of, you know, see, seeing who works, figuring it out, and then, you know, with each one go- going forward? Uh, I, we're, we're always changing. So, so yeah. you know, kind of to answer your question, yes, I, I envisioned some changes over the, over the next year. Uh, just like a year ago, you know, I, I knew we would make some changes. I think we'll continue to, to look for a broad array of, of influencers and content contributors. 
we continue to build our internal team. We're, we're in the process of hiring an editorial director right now. And, and so as we continue to build our internal team, we'll be balancing kind of internal uh, content creation with external influencers, which, which I think allows us to do a lot more things. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that we really hone in on and rely on is the consumer insight for what the consumer wants. And so as, as the year progresses and, and as we hear thoughts from our consumers, we are able to act on them quickly because we have a network of people we work with. Can you give an example of in the you know, recent future when you, you got an insight from a consumer and then you, you did something with that? Well, I think our, our recipe of the year this year, the, the cinnamon rolls, one of oh, the, yeah. one of the things that, that, I mean, a lot of people search for cinnamon rolls. They were probably a top 10 recipe last year. Um, a traditional cinnamon roll recipe is usually a pan of cinnamon rolls, and, and you might make 12 or 16 of them in a pan. Particularly right now, we, you know, a lot of people aren't having Sunday brunch with, with multiple families coming over. And so we made our recipe of the year not only, you know, individually baked, uh, but the, the, it uses something called the Tangzong method, which, uh, is an interesting way of baking yeasted recipes. And it has an incredible shelf life. Like they're the next day and the day after they're still fresh. And so we launched the recipe of the year in a way that really made sense for this particular year. And that came from a lot of feedback that the traditional cinnamon roll recipe, you know, either you had to eat three cinnamon rolls yourself or you didn't, or you, or you had to throw some away. I wanted to get your thoughts on sort of the overall groceries, CPG, where you, where you see things are going. Because uh, last year was anomalous for, for many different reasons. Online grocery saw a huge boost. A lot of other CPG players like yours saw big digital gains. And now there's a big question mark about sort of what 2021 is going to look like, both in terms of is the growth going to remain what is what's the sort of overall channel mix look like gonna gonna look like? Uh, so what what how are you sort of approaching this? Given that you know you said your your business doubled last year, do you think it's gonna maintain that growth? How are what what are your sort of thoughts when you're coming into such a great unknown? It's a that's a good question. We're we're still very bullish on on baking certainly, but a lot of it comes from a variety of things that we we believe will happen. One, we believe grocery will will maintain kind of positive growth. It won't be like last year, uh, but with, with a number of people still working at home, that, that changes their behavior, just the, they're going to be eating more at home. Um, baking and the baking category is interesting because there are a lot of tailwinds to it. My favorite example is sourdough. People have created a sourdough starter and it lives on their, their shelf, their, countertop or in the refrigerator, it's a constant reminder, you know, it, it's yelling at, at you in the kitchen, take me out and make some bread. And so there's some tailwinds that will, that I think for at least for the next year will keep people baking. So we're fairly bullish. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to call a number, but, but certainly think that the growth will be, um, you know, might be 10%, might be a little higher. I do think consumer behavior shifts will stay in place. I think this, you know, the, regularly heard people say, you know, e-commerce behavior took 10 years of normal change and crammed it into six months. And I think a lot of that will stay. People experienced a different way of shopping. And I think that'll, that'll stick around just like our direct to consumer business. I think we'll continue to, to see some growth over prior year. So shopping behavior 
will change. We're anticipating grocery, and particularly baking, to continue to be up. Uh, we've had this incredible year that our market share has grown a lot because our growth has been two to three times the category growth. So to some degree, our brand has been driving the category. And so we also believe that even if the, the category only grows a little bit, we'll continue to grow uh, at a pace higher than that. I, I didn't ask you this earlier, but what is your, how do you approach other e-commerce channels? So, you know, is that something that you focus on specifically like Amazon Fresh or Walmart.com? Like how how, are, how do you, how does that fit into your overall retail strategy compared to your DTC business compared to your physical grocery business? Uh, and we definitely support it heavily. We, we continue to build out the team and, and our capabilities uh, on on those in that channel. And each of the retailers is slightly different. So Amazon is different than Walmart.com and, and different than other um, grocery click and collect retailers. Instacart is very different. And so we're uh, making sure that we're addressing each of them the way that they that they can best perform. Uh, we do shift our, our pro- the products on Amazon are diff- you know it, it, we don't put all of our direct consumer products out on Amazon and and uh, and we we tend to offer all of our grocery products to all of the e-commerce sites. So I think the consumer will see a very similar King Arthur baking dep- regardless of where they shop. Uh, but we want to make it seamless, so we do align our supply chain to make sure that the products are there and, and on, on the shelf on time uh, and, and that our pricing and promotions are, are consistent. Uh, and so that requires, you know, just an, you know, equal um, relationship with, with our retailers. Uh, and then, like I said, the tactical approach is what really drives growth, I think. And so making sure that we're running appropriate awareness campaigns and, and search campaigns uh, on the platforms that, that have those programs and letting the consumer shop where they want. We, we just actually ran a promotion for a new product that we launched, baking, our baking sugar alternative. And the promotion actually was built to drive to our website, but actually Amazon saw <laughs> probably the biggest lift. Uh, and so that, so that that omni-channel of approach really helps us because we don't, we don't have to be specific about where the consumer shops. We just have to make sure they're aware of the product and make sure they're aware of the promotions that are happening and they shop where they, they would like to shop. Talk to me a little bit about Instacart because I feel like that's become like a huge growth and, you know, it's been around for a while and I'm sure that you've used it for years. But with you as the head of marketing, has your relationship and like strategy with Instacart changed given that so many people were using it to buy their groceries more than before? Uh, our promotion kind of rises with sales, and so we've we've in, we've increased our support of Instacart. We don't I don't think we have a, a you know a unique partnership with them at all, but uh, a lot of retailers have partnered with them yeah. to to make them uh, a platform of choice, and so that's our approach to Instacart. Similar to the way we we would look at Walmart.com or Amazon, it's it's the the retailers that partner with Instacart. We want to make sure that we're that we're there. All right, and we're coming close to out of time, but I want to just hear sort of what your your big sort of bullet points for the next year are going to be. You have the the rebrand and the new name that's done with, and so what are you focusing on in twenty twenty one? Given that it's going to be pretty different from twenty twenty, hopefully. Well, I'd say two things. One is that this is our first and foremost. We want customers to see, succeed in their baking in a surprising way, and that that comes a little bit from my experience in food media where. Uh, I used to work at America's Test Kitchen and, and people would taste the, the chocolate cake 
recipe and be, be surprised that, wow, I didn't realize the chocolate cake was supposed to taste that good. Uh, and it's the same thing here at King Arthur. Uh, we want people, when they experience the education or the inspiration we provide or the products we provide, they're surprised at how good things are and how easy they are to bake because I think convenience in baking is, a re- is really important. And so a lot of our efforts are going towards continuing to offer great products and continuing to offer incredible inspiration. Uh, we are putting a lot of effort into in- innovation. This past year, innovation was challenging because a lot of retailers didn't uh, have normal shelf resets. And so uh, a lot of that innovation is going to come to play this year. Uh, so consumers should be excited to, to see some of the new things coming out. Um, and to make sure that we take advantage of this massive opportunity that's presented itself. We have an audience that we haven't seen before that are really excited to be, to, to be baking. And the more we can approach this year to keep them engaged, to keep them excited about what they've just discovered, I think that'll have long-term success for us and the category. Phil, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed this conversation. This is great. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.